0: You notice there's a few folks that are missing here. Lance uh, took a group full of uh, two vans uh, down to the Arlington area for a a retreat or a a youth rally that they call Winterfest. Uh, And in doing so, he took himself and his wife uh, and Wyatt, and those three people know how to work the online video camera, what, what is known as the Mevo. And my wife was planning to do that, and my daughter last night who was here, she got sick. And so everybody who knows anything about that thing is gone. So for those of you who are online and you've seen the slides jump around, and you're like, who is this crazy person doing it? It's me. So I do want to apologize for that, but hopefully you can see and hear me, and if you can't, you might be even better off than the people who are here. So what I want to do this morning is we've talked a lot about some, some uh, English language and I've decided that I've mastered that subject and so now uh, I want to go on to psychology and, uh, and we're going to uh, talk about some words uh, that you may or may not be familiar with. I don't know how to pronounce any one of these and so I'm going to need your help. Does anybody want to try to read this word? Ablutophobia. What is ablutophobia? Ablutophobia. Anybody know? It is the fear of bathing. So if you've had preteen kids, you know that they have been struck with struck with this illness before—a blutophobia, folks. It's a real thing. It happens. Okay, how about this this one? What's this? Anthrophobia. What do you suppose that is? You're afraid of something. How about the fear of flowers? It's a thing, folks. It's a thing. How about this one? Can I buy a vowel here? When, when two vowels go work and walk in the first window, I don't know what that is, but this is a real phobia. It is the fear of being constantly watched by ducks. Now, technically speaking, this is the fear of ducks. But if you look into this phobia, it is not the fear of seeing a duck, being attacked by a duck. It is the fear of being watched by a duck constantly. This is in the DSM-5. It's a real thing. People get diagnosed with this. For some of you, this may be the first time that you've ever heard of this. I hope I haven't introduced a new fear into your life. If I have, I'm sorry. You know, don't go out to Harry McAdams because this thing gets real when that happens. How about this one? your right, yeah, see, I didn't even want to try. This is the fear of peanut butter. Now, I suppose if you have an allergy, that would be a healthy fear to have. But for a lot of people, I don't know that the little jiffy has, you know, made me quake. But for some people, they have this. How about this one? yeah a fear of, this is a fear of numbers and there's actually another one that's even more precise it's the fear of the number 8 octophobia I believe is that one I don't know if any of you have this problem unless of course you're sitting in front of a, an algebra test you might get this phobia Chromatophobia. I, I don't really get this one I don't understand it it's the fear of colors so for those of you, Rusty, who grew up when life was in black and white, at some point you got really afraid when colors were introduced into this world. So I understand. Oh no, I got the wrong one. I, I jumped ahead. Oh, well, now you know what the next one is. Oh, this is chromatophobia. This is the fear of spending money. Some of you people probably could use a little dose of this. I don't know. I'm, I'm not here to judge. Uh, and then the next one, of course, is chromophobia, which... I read it wrong. That, this one is the fear of colors. So, Rusty, it's okay. You're not alone. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce this one either, but some of you may have this, and I'm definitely not judging here. I'm not going to look at anybody's. I'm just. I'm going to look above your heads when I say, this is fear of cooking. And so, so husbands, if you dare diagnose your wife with this, um, I'm available for counseling. Uh, and there will be some fees charged for this one because you deserve it. And then this one, some of our young kids may struggle with this, scolinophobia, that's the, the, the fear of school. And then the last one, again, husbands, listen to me on this one. If you dare suggest that your wife has this, like I will help you construct the dog house that you're going to sleep in, but I'm not staying in there with you. This is the fear of vacuum cleaners. Now, I want you to know that this was a real fear that I had when I was a kid. I was always afraid of the vacuum cleaner. I can remember being at my grandparents' house and that thing being run, and it was the big metal old-timey one. And I remember one time I was going to help my grand-grand vacuum, and she warned me, don't let the the vacuum cleaner run over the the cord because it could get caught up in there. And that was the greatest fear that I had was somehow I was going to run over that cord. It was going to... Go in there it was going to electrocute me. Everything was going to blow up, and and so that was that was a fear that I have. But okay, let's look, let's look at a few more. Atelephobia. Um, this is the the fear of imperfection. How about decidophobia? Anybody guess what that is? That's the fear of making decisions. Guys, this actually we're kind of getting a little more honest, aren't we? This kind of hits closer to home. We have a lot of kids. They don't call it decidophobia you know what they call it they call it FOMO FOMO the fear of missing out and a lot of times they are paralyzed and unable to make a decision because they're afraid if they make a decision towards one thing they might miss out on something else and I think we all have that on some level but for our younger kids who are posed with so many different options and opportunities this is a real thing how about this one gamma phobia this is a real thing. It's, it's the fear of marriage. Um, this, is, this one you might find a little odd, and I think even a little offensive for me at least, venus trap phobia. Now if you look really close, you see what's in there? Venus-trap. Like I'm, I'm really upset with the person who came up with this word because this is a little offensive. This is the fear of beautiful women. The fear of beautiful women and they include Venus trap as the beautiful woman is going to lure you in and eat you alive now the I want to pause for just a second and let you know that that there are a lot of different phobias but but the way to get rid of these phobias is you have to just be willing to to overcome those fears and so I was able to get over this fear uh and the previous one by getting married to a beautiful woman and then i don't have to deal with either one of those i've overcome those fears so um i i'm not eddie don't you dare get me in trouble i will not i'm sure my wife it would be excellent using the vacuum cleaner so and then how about this one this is another one that some of you may nomophobia The fear of being without your mobile phone. Has anybody, this is a a really weird thing, now we're getting off topic just a little bit, but have you ever felt a buzz on your leg and reached down to grab your phone and it wasn't there? that That is you wanting to touch your phone. They say on average, teenagers check their phone. I'm not talking about when they're already on it, but they check their phone every 10 minutes that's the average every 10 minutes maybe even more that's that means they actually have to stop looking at it long enough so that they have to check it to see if there's something going on okay but let's let's get real the fear of pain the fear of illness apocantry the fear of social evaluation. There's another fear that's similar to this. The, the fear of ridicule. That's sociophobia. Like, all of a sudden, this isn't funny anymore. Like, it's one thing to ja- laugh and joke about, oh, I'm afraid of peanut butter or vacuum cleaners or staring ducks, but all of a sudden, autophobia. Autophobia. Like, I, don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could be diagnosed with that. And I'm, I'm not joking. Just the, the fear of being alone. Not just, not just for a, a, a small amount of time, but But how about for an expend, extended period of time? The fear of, of losing that dear spouse that you've been with for decades. And all of a sudden, there's this the fear of being alone. How about the fear of death or dead things? That's necrophobia. You know, we laugh at the first few, but as we get into this, all of a sudden, we realize what a large role fear has in our lives, in our faith, in our relationships, in the places we go, in the things that we do. Whether it's a a fear of spiders or fear of the dark or fear of being alone, fear can completely overwhelm us. And so there's one more fear that we're going to look at this morning, and this is the Lassophobia. It's the fear of large bodies of water, of waves, of large distances from land. And that is where we're going to be today. And you think, well, I'm I'm safe because I'm in Hobbes, and I can't find water if I wanted to. I mean, there's hardly a small body of water, much less a large one. But if we open up, like I hope you will, to Mark chapter 4, we're going to see this thalassophobia being played out. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. There's a lot I want to say about context, but unfortunately I just don't have the time And so I'm going to ask you to hang around during class and we're going to talk about why this situated in Mark 4 fits in brilliantly with what happens before and what's going to take place after. This idea of having faith and and these things that just can simply overwhelm us. Verse 35 starts with this. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples... Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind they took with they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So let's stop for just a second. We've set up the scene or Mark has for us. Jesus has decided that he's going to go a little bit further away. He wants to get away. This is something that Jesus likes to do. I know Southwest Airlines has that logo, want to get away. But Jesus started that way earlier. And his answer was almost always, yes, I want to get away. He understood the importance of recharging, of getting away. And how many times did he invite his disciples to go with him? How many times did he say, we've got to get away? How many times did he model that in his own life? Even in his last days as he goes into the garden, he invites with him three of his disciples, and he says, you come here with me. And he has them stay in the garden, and he goes on further. He wants them to know the importance of getting away. Because sometimes just being in the middle of it can get us overwhelmed. And Jesus chooses to leave. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. I love looking at the the Greek in this because the Greek, as they talked about this squall, is is a word called "seismos." Does anybody recognize the word "seismos"? A seismograph. What does that do? That measures the intensity of an earthquake. And so this isn't just a little bit of of, of a, you know, a, a little bit of a downpour. This is crazy. In fact, it was so bad that it was coming up over the boat. Now remember, Jesus had many apostles, he had 12 of them, but we know that at least four of them, we know that at least four of them, were fishermen. Now we don't know who was on the boat with them. Mark, Matthew, and Luke, all three of them share this story. None of them say exactly who was on the boat, but it's safe to believe that possibly Peter, Andrew, James, and John could have been on this boat. Fishermen. They know this area. They don't have this philosophophobia. Or do they? We'll read on ahead. Listen to this. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. I want to stop there for just a second and ask the question: what in the world is going on? Can somebody help me out here? The boat is tossing and turning. He's now there's been times I've been tired. There's been times you've probably been so exhausted and you said, Man, I think I could just, I could sleep standing up. But how many of you think that you could get in a a boat? I mean, this wouldn't have been a large yacht. This would have been a small boat. And you know it was just getting thrashed around by the waves and the wind, up and down, side to side. And here's Jesus in the boat, sleeping. Man, he's got a good conscience. Or maybe there's something else involved. And I'm kind of curious curious about this. As I read this text, I wonder, like, was this planned? Did he say, I'm going to get on the boat, and I'm going to send him across when there's a storm, and I'm going to make sure that I'm asleep during this time? How could he possibly sleep at a time like this? Not just the, the physical motion of what's going on, of being rocked back and forth of possibly getting wet but now on top of all of that you have well what happens if the waters come into the boat and it can't stay afloat and I love this Matthew and Luke also share this story but I love the way mark records their response to this the disciples woke him up and they said to him teacher what don't you care I mean that's a that's a legitimate question that's a real question there are other times Matthew and Luke say don't you know that we're about to drown but here it's like they know that he knows they just don't know if he cares and I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves in our lives right like Like, we know God exists, and we know He's powerful, and He can do some things, but yet here we are, stuck in this mess. We know He knows that the the child we love is in the hospital. We know He knows about cancer, and about unfaithful spouses, and about piling up bills and so the only thing we're left to ask is God don't you care because if you cared I would not be in this boat and if you cared there wouldn't be these waves. if you cared she wouldn't have left or he wouldn't have died I would have a job. I could pay my bills. Don't you care? And this is the point where Scripture becomes real because we've all had that question. What happens when the waves come in and the boat starts to sink? Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if he dies? How can we possibly get an answer to that question? And I think the answer is really simple. I believe that Jesus cares because Jesus is right there in that boat. He got up. He rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. This is a part of miracles that takes place. This is the the, the beginning one and we're going to see several more where some really crazy things are going to take place and no one seems to have an answer or an idea except Jesus. There's no way we can get out of this. There's no way that guy can be healed. There's no way that that girl can be raised from the dead. And Mark is saying, look, Jesus has the ability. Don't be afraid. And so he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked one another, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. A lot of times I've Suggested that that Jesus and his His Father God both asked some pretty silly questions throughout Scripture. Silly oftentimes because they already know the answer to them and yet they ask these. But this one I really struggle with. I really struggle with this. He says, Why are you so afraid? I can guess why. Whether you're a seasoned fisherman or a landlubber, there's reason to believe that they thought those were their last moments. And so they were afraid. And Jesus says, well, why are you afraid? Is is he clueless? Is he is he really just trying to get at them? And so I want to ask you this question. It's the same one. Why are you so afraid? Yeah, maybe you're not afraid of peanut butter. But are you afraid of illness? Are you afraid of being ridiculed? Are you afraid of being alone? Are you afraid of death? So this really begs the question in my mind. How do we overcome those fears? Jesus seems to think it's really simple. He says, you look at the wind and the waves and you don't need to be afraid. All you have to do is is just trust me. And it's a simple math equation. Fear plus faith equals no fear, right? But let's just let's forget for a second that it's Sunday morning and we're in a church building and I want to ask you this. Does faith erase fear? On Sunday morning, we say, yes, it does. But when you're in that hospital room and you hear the beeping of those instruments, where do we go? What do we do? I want to take just a moment and I want to read something with you as I mentioned that the kids are off on uh, their trip to Winterfest Winterfest is a really big deal the the kids love it there's two bandfuls that are heading back right at this moment and and one of the things that Lance does he always encourages the kids to attend but uh, on this particular one because it so many kids love to go on it uh, and and it is a big trip um, he has some prerequisites, some things, some requirements that they have in order to go. And one of them is is they have to write a paper. They have to to, to join in uh, the Bible study. Right now, they're studying the stories. Some of you may remember that we we went through that book probably eight or nine years ago. Um, and and that's the that's the book that they're reading. And so my daughter, Lily, uh, who went on Winterfest, she had to write a paper. And I just want to read a little excerpt from this. And I'm sorry, I'm, I might be uh, a little proud and boastful. I'll try not to be boastful, but I'm certainly proud of this. She just does a, a great job. She she starts off by talking about how the Israelites continue on in this cycle of, you know, they sin and they're punished they call out to God. He restores them. And that, that cycle continues over again. And he says this, Often the Israelites would fall into sin because of what they thought God had done wrong for them. For example, they had been angry with Moses and God when Pharaoh and his army were headed towards them with nowhere to go. The Israelites had blamed God for bringing them out of Egypt. There in Egypt... They had food and a place to live, while in the desert, they didn't have much of either. Little did they know, God had something greater. He would call Moses to part the waters of the Red Sea. It's so easy to blame God for for the things we're going through. But it's better to step back and take take a look at the bigger picture the upper story instead of being caught up and stuck in the lower story the upper story can show us that whatever is happening in the moment is shaping us for our future skipping a little in conclusion we as Christians are called to trust God and to follow his example we can do By looking through the upper story, God's story, rather than the lower story. Also, having patience for the ignorant, compassion for the hurting, grace for the people who wrong us, and love for the people who need it most. I love the idea of this lower story and upper story, and I think it's perfectly played out in Mark chapter 4 they were terrified and they asked each other who is this even the winds and the waves obey him they were stuck in the lower story all they could see was what was right there in front of them the waves all they could see was the water coming in on them they were overwhelmed they were scared they woke up Jesus and they said don't you care and God says you're looking at the lower story I have an upper story a story that transcends what you're going through right now everything that you can see and that you can touch and that you can taste and that you can smell all of that will be gone it won't matter anymore God has an upper story And he says, I'm in control. But I want you to know, even when you're surrounded by this lower story, don't forget, God is there with you. And our upper story is that we have victory. And that we have hope. And that we have assurance that no matter what happens here, God is in control. And God is with us. I don't know what fears or phobias are ruling your life, but I do know this. God is calling you to let those go. And trust that what you're going through today will help you as you walk into the future. And so this morning, I want us to stand and sing a song of remembrance and of celebration of a God who gives us faith to erase fears. Please join me as we stand and sing.